Welcome again to our study of Hebrews chapter 2. Today we take up verses 16 and 17, and I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 2. For surely it is not with angels that he is concerned, but with the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make expiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered and been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. The author tells us here that Christ became like us, not like angels, so he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. He had us in his mind. Christ didn't come to save angels. He was concerned with the descendants of that man of faith in the Old Testament, Abraham. Now, that had special meaning. This book was written to Jews. They were the physical descendants of Abraham. Jesus became a man. He had flesh and blood. He was truly man. In becoming a man, he did not relinquish his deity. He was not a spirit, however. He had a human body, just like we have. It's interesting that the writer in verse 16 says that he is not concerned with angels. And on this subject, I think we ought to say that there is no salvation for angels. If they have not rebelled against God... They don't need salvation. And if they did rebel against God, there's absolutely no hope for them. The only promise they get is that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. The Bible teaches us that angels in heaven are curious about salvation. The salvation of men, that is. And I wish all men were as interested as the angels are. Peter wrote about their interest in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Listen to it. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired about the salvation. They inquired what person or time was indicated by the Spirit of Christ within them when predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in the things which have now been announced to you by those who preach the good news to you through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That tells me that angels are curious. The prophets had predicted the Christ and his sufferings, and even though these scriptures don't benefit or apply to angels, angels apparently are amazed that God has set forth a way to save men and they want to know more about it. Now, if you're looking at verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 2, you may have a problem. The problem is this, that it speaks about him being concerned not with with angels, but with the descendants of Abraham. Well, that refers to Jews. And you may be concerned. Where does it say anything about him being concerned about Gentiles? Well, the Bible teaches this, 
that those who believe in Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, become God's children, born again by the Spirit. And Paul teaches clearly in Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The gospel, Jesus said, was to be preached by the apostles to all nations, not simply to the Jews. Before the crucifixion, when he sent out the twelve, he said, Go only to the Jews, only to the house of Israel, not to the Gentiles and not to the Samaritans, because there the message was about the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom announced the coming of the king who would reign on David's throne in Jerusalem and rule the world. That has been God's plan for the ages. But Israel rejected its king and following his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus appeared again to the eleven. Judas, who betrayed him, was no longer with them. And Jesus said to them, Make disciples of all nations. And nations is the word for Gentile. So the gospel went out, it was preached, and you and I have become believers in that message which Jesus ordered to be preached. So this passage applies to us as well. When the writer wrote this epistle to the Hebrews, he of course had the Jews in mind. He's concerned with those people. They have a problem, and he wants to assure them that they are important and that Christ is their high priest. Which brings us then to verse 17 which says, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make expiation for the sins of the people. This passage deals with the priesthood of Christ. We know him as the Savior. We know him as the coming King. But oftentimes we neglect to think about his priesthood. Priest may not mean much to us today, but a priest was important in Judaism. The law of Moses spelled out the responsibilities and the obligations concerning the priesthood. It was a part of the worship of God. Now, how did Jesus Christ qualify to become a priest? First of all, by becoming a man. And what kind of a priest was he? the kind, he says, that is merciful and faithful in his service. This priest is to have sympathy, and that is a comforting characteristic of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, what did he do as a priest? Did he offer any sacrifices? Only himself. He made propitiation or, as some translations say, expiation. This means he became a satisfactory sacrifice, offering himself a perfect lamb, a sinless person. He satisfied the Father, he satisfied the law, and he met all the demands of the righteous law of God when he offered himself. Now Hebrews chapter 10 will tell us more about what he accomplished in that sacrifice as a priest. Listen to it. 
I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, than to wait until his enemies should be made a stool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And then the writer says, in verse 15, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, quote, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them in their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their misdeeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. One thing is certain, friends, if a man is offering something today for sin, he is not accepting what his priest, Jesus Christ, offered for him. If we believe that Jesus Christ offered what was necessary to become the Savior of the world and to save us from our sins, then we need not offer anything further. This is something to believe. The Bible declares that he offered himself, and he was a perfect sacrifice, satisfying the justice of God. A priest represents men before God, especially in regard to sin. He makes a propitiation for the sins of the people. He satisfies God's justice by offering his own blood. And that blood, the Bible tells us, washes away sin. God is satisfied. Looking down through history, God sees that the payment was fully made to save every man and woman who was ever born or who ever will be born. Sin has been paid for. The debt has been canceled. And the good news that we preach is that men need to believe it that everything necessary has already been done and God provided it. The Gospel of John tells us that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was God's Lamb. If we offered our own, we couldn't be sure that our sins would be forgiven because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ, one drop alone of that holy blood of the Son of God, is sufficient to wash a person clean. Is it any wonder, then, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. This is the Christ, promised by the prophets, sent in the last days to speak to us about God's grace, and he died for us. Here's a priest who didn't offer animal sacrifices like the other priests. They offered thousands of bulls and goats and sheep which could not take away sins. But this priest, 
Jesus Christ, the writer tells us, satisfied the Father. And the result was, verse 18, for because he himself has suffered and been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Well, he's referring to every one of us because there probably isn't a single person alive who is not in some manner or fashion tempted. And he is able to help us. He has already helped us because regardless of that temptation, he has saved us. We need to remember in our trials, Jesus knows all about our suffering. Take hope. Give God thanks and take comfort in this identification which we have with Jesus Christ because he is our high priest. Jesus went through great suffering and he knows how you are affected by it. And for that reason, the writer to the Hebrews tells us in verse 16, or verse 14 I should say, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a precious invitation! to draw near to the throne of grace. Some people think it's the throne of judgment. God, who sent Jesus Christ, is the God of all grace. He wants to give men something. He wants to save those he created. And he has provided the sin offering. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news.